Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Secret Library Podcast. I'm Caroline Donahue. As a lifelong book lover, I've been hanging out with books as long as I can remember. Here on the show, we're going inside the world of books and learning what's involved in going from brilliant idea to finished manuscript and what it takes to get it out in the world. You'll hear from authors, publishers, editors, and all kinds of professionals whose work brings you what you read every day. The Secret Library Podcast is sponsored by Muse Monthly, a subscription box for literature and tea lovers. Get a brand new novel custom paired with a full box or tin of tea on your doorstep every month. Visit musemonthly.com and use the code SECRET00, all one word in all caps, for 10% off your subscription. Welcome back to another episode of the Secret Library Podcast. Today, my guest is Teresa Reed, aka the Tarot Lady, and she's been a full-time tarot card reader for close to 30 years, so basically she's my hero. She is the author of the Tarot Coloring Book, which is out this month, and it's an illustrated tour through the world of tarot with coloring sheets for every card in the deck. In addition to doing private tarot readings, teaching tarot classes, and speaking at tarot conferences, Teresa also runs a popular website, thetarolady.com, where she dishes out advice, inspiration, and tips for tarot lovers of all experience levels. You can follow Teresa on Twitter and Instagram, this will be in the show notes, for her daily six-second tarot reading, plus photos of her extremely handsome cats, Towson and Monkey. And, you know, cat, a cat lover is always uh, good in my book. So thank you so much for being with us, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me today. And just so you know, Dalzen right now has just started to lurk around the corner. So he's, he's all ears. I think he, he is, his ears are burning. He heard you mention his name. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. They know. They know things, those cats. Um, so one of the reasons, also anyone who knows me knows I'm obsessed with tarot. So obviously I wanted to have you on for that reason, but I'm also fascinated by the coloring book because there has been this boom in coloring books over the past couple of years. And I'm really curious about the process of coming up with that idea and creating it and the whole thing. So when did you first think of doing a coloring book for tarot? Well, actually, Sounds True, which is my publisher, 
approached me with that idea. We had been in talks about doing a tarot book for their um, for their publishing house, and I sent my book proposal. They loved it, and they asked me, "What do you think about a coloring book?" And for me, it was an automatic yes, and there's a reason why. Um, one of the things I do besides tarot is I also teach yoga. And when I was learning yoga and going through my teacher training program, I was struggling so hard with the anatomy. I mean, I could not iliopsoas, piriformis, and, <laughs> you know, it was really, really tough for me. I'm, you know, not a science gal. I'm a tarot gal. And I was just not having a good time with it. So... I went to the bookstore and I got the anatomy coloring book. It's a classic book and it's perfect for people like me who learn in an experiential way, a hands-on way. What ended up happening is I was then able to look at where these body parts were, color them in, really nail it down. So needless to say, I went from being like the class dunce, I aced it, I got 100%. I was the highest scorer in the class. Wow. And that's why when they said tarot coloring book, I'm like, of course, because of my experience with that anatomy coloring book, it made total sense. And, you know, one of the things that I've found over the years, and I've taught many, many, many tarot people over the years how to read, but so many students would struggle to memorize things or they would, you know, just not know where to begin or there's so many things they would even overlook. And by creating the tarot coloring book, this gives them the exact same tool that I had with the anatomy coloring book. They get to deep dive, they get to experience the card, they get to really feel it. Um, you know, it gives them more of a hands-on way of learning. Because I'll, I'll say this too, and this is because I am slightly hearing impaired. Um, when I went to school, I was that little girl in the classroom who always got called down to the office to get her hearing tested. And I always had to sit in the front row. And oftentimes when the teachers would talk, it'd be like in the Charlie Brown commercial, the Charlie Brown show would be wah, 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 wah. And so I would end up then being off in a completely different space. I did not learn that way. And so all of a sudden I'd have to go home with this homework and I'd be panicking like, holy cats, I've got to learn this stuff. And so I had to really study. I had to get in there. I had to really do again hands-on stuff and when teachers had me doing hands-on things like art class I of course I thrived in that so you know again it all comes back to the same thing some of us really get the memo when we've got our hands down in it it's much easier instead of like just reading a book or listening to someone talk to get in there and either read those cards or color those cards or, again, experience it. So that's my whole thing behind it. That's why when they told me tarot coloring book, you know, not just because coloring books right now are the craze, but it made sense to me on that level. Yeah, absolutely. Because that was one of the things that fascinated me about your book is that it wasn't, it feels like the, the overarching thing with a lot of coloring books are like, oh, it's a nice way to relax. Um, you know, which it is. And I've definitely played with them. They've got the mandala ones and it's just sort of a, you know, a way to unwind. But this, when you talked about it being a learning tool, I was, I was really fascinated by that. Well, one of the things that sounds true is done really well. There are other tarot coloring books out there and some of them are really lovely, but they're more just the coloring. You know, they're not actually here. Now you're going to learn tarot. Um, sounds true was really about making it a book that can 
go beyond just the you know fad of the coloring. They have another book out called the Shakti Coloring Book, mm. which is really wonderful and it borrows from this concept here you've got all these gorgeous images the artist who did this book is phenomenal but there's also there's lessons there's stories there's things you get to learn so it's not just a coloring book and this is what sounds true is doing differently than a lot of the other places that are putting out these coloring books they're they're making learning manuals and i just think it's brilliant yeah, Sounds True has always been a favorite of mine. I've listened to so many of their programs and yeah. loved them. Um, so I'm not surprised they're pushing the envelope. So I'm curious about the choice of the tarot imagery that you went with for the book, because as I understand, it's the Rider Waite Smith cards. Yes. And what made you go with that system? Just because there's so many. Um, I mean, I know that that's sort of the language, but I'm curious about picking that actual deck you know there's so many decks that are out there now if you're a tarot lover you have got everything from baseball tarot to you know um i wish someone would do game of thrones tarot <laughs> uh, it's got it's only a matter of time uh, i mean there's i one of my favorite decks is the baroque bohemian cats tarot which has cats of course dressed in victorian clothing so um, good Oh, yes you've got stuff like that you've got a hello kitty deck uh, but you know the Rider Waite Smith deck is the classic, and many modern decks are based on that deck. And I always find when I teach tarot, I insist everybody starts with that deck. It's like your primer. It is your total tarot primer. It is the best way for beginners to learn. It has so much symbology. And again, all the modern decks, many of them are based on this one. So I think it is the the deck to go with. And I, I have to tell you this. Um, even though I read occasionally with other decks, I love the Fountain Tarot, for example. It's been, mm. oh, such a great deck. I love that one. But I always, always, always go back to the Rider weight. Always. When I'm with clients, it's the Rider weight. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why. It's universally recognized. People love the imagery. And I've used other decks over the years, and oftentimes the clients just don't connect. And, you know, they're just not... Um, just not feeling it. Or some of the decks are really scary and the clients don't like that. So I found that the Rider Waite seems to be the deck that pleases everybody. And it just, it works well. Even though that deck is, I think it was created in 1909. Yeah. To this day, it's still, those are universal images and symbols. They're evocative. It's amazing to me because it is really fun to compare that imagery to, you know, more, more current or recent decks that are clearly drawing from it like I love to play with the dreaming way which pulls so much from that one and it's like oh look the moon is the, you know she's holding the lobster you know in a totally different way and it's just yep. fun to be able to pull from that imagery from from the writer Wade Smith is that your favorite deck or what is your favorite oh what is my favorite that's a that's like which is your favorite child or your favorite cat I think I use that one a lot for the same reason. It's funny that you described the Rider Waite that way because I've been playing with reading for other people and I tend to go with that one because people respond well to the imagery. It's got the Rider Waite syntax and it's both evocative but not scary. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it seems to, people seem to connect to it well. 
Yeah, and not that there's anything wrong with scary decks, but, you know, for example, I used to use a deck called the Cosmic Terror, which I love that deck. But there is a, a Ten of Swords image in there that almost looks like Pinhead, Pinhead from Hellraiser. Oh, no. Yeah, and I had clients that they would see that and they would flip out. Now, the Ten of Swords is a fearsome card because you see the figure face down, there's knives in the back. But in the Rider weight deck, what you also see is that sun rising on the background. And it's a reminder that some things are ending, but we go on. Whereas in the Cosmic Tarot, it just looks like, oh my God, this is Hellraiser, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the same. I love the Mary L Tarot, but I don't yes. think I would use that for somebody I didn't know well. Yes, I agree. I love that deck too, but um, I've had clients also, I played around with it and they're like, oh, you know, that deck's kind of dark. You know, and it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's that one aside. Yeah, exactly. But it's I, I love it for the art and seeing how different people interpret. But I mean, they're yeah. almost like books, you know, yeah. when you get a deck, I've I have a whole area of the house and it's gotten to the point where whenever, um, whenever a package arrives at the house, my, my husband says, uh, Oh, it's another tarot deck arrived. Like he doesn't even look at it. He doesn't even know what's in the package. He's just like, Oh, you got another deck. I'm like, no, honey, that's, that's cat stuff from Amazon. It's actually not a deck, but, um, (laughs) but that's the level of deck collecting we're doing over here. Um, so I'm curious about the process of producing the coloring book. Like what went into, we like the nitty gritty of, of book production on here. So what was the, you know, you had the idea, you picked the imagery, like how was it working with Sounds True on the whole process? First of all, I will say that Sounds True is the most professional, supportive, wonderful publishers. I really couldn't ask for better people to work with. And for me, this is my first time putting out a book. You know, I've done tons of little eBooks on my own, but when you put out a book, it is pretty darn huge and it's scary. And they made me feel totally at ease. And I love that about them. They really do hold your hand and guide you. So for me, what I did is, first of all, I chunked out my schedule so that I could make the time for writing, which meant getting up an extra hour or two earlier most days and devoting sometimes whole days to writing. And so I figured out how long it would take me to put the book together and get the rough draft done. So I got that all set aside, and then I disciplined myself hard core, which would mean sometimes writing the descriptions for five cards that day or, you know, X amount of pages. And, you know, I've also have a huge body of work on my blog to draw from. So there were things also that I could like say, okay, this is stuff that I've already, you know, got some information here and there. Let me incorporate this. Let me reword it. So it was a lot of putting that together and then sitting down and really disciplining my butt every day to doing that writing. And I'm a very disciplined writer anyways. I have a prolific blog. And that's because... Yes, you do. Yes. I blog all the time. I am super hyper-disciplined. And, you know, that got me in a good writing habit for this book. So sitting down to do the book, what ended up happening, because I write so often, I pretty much channeled it. Mm. So boom, the information came, and then I would go back, I would clean everything up. And then what I did after that, I always put my work when I'm doing something big through through at least two or three eyes. And so um, my writing mentor is Alexandra Franzen. And so I pushed the book to her. I said, please look at this, make sure it doesn't suck. 
And she looked through it. She had her suggestions. She had ideas. And she looked through it and really helped me with that. And, you know, she said, you know, this is actually really great. It looks good. And so once I got her seal of approval, then I took it to Megan Lang, who's my daughter, and she has an MFA in writing, and she does editing, and she's a brilliant editor. And I said, look through this, make sure it's right. So she looks through it, and she says, Mom, you have a comma problem. Let's fix that. (laughs) (laughs) But she went through the grammar, the punctuation, to make sure that was clean. Then she handed it back to me. Then I went over it one more time to make sure it really had my flavor and You know, if there was something I didn't like, let me rethink this. I don't want this here now. Let me take it out. I don't like this anymore. So it went through my eyes one more time. And then I handed it to Sounds True. And then from there, it goes to their editor. And so then their editor worked with me over a couple of weeks to once again, well, could we say it this way? Is there another way we could say this? What is your idea on this? What do you think about that? So they really worked with me and they went with their suggestions and it was a back and forth process. It wasn't just them saying, we're editing this. It's like, well, what do you think about this? Is there a different way you can word this? So for example, one of the things I am really into pop culture, I mean, Mm -hmm. really into it. And they had to like kind of rein that in a little bit. They said, you know, we want this book to be timeless. So some of these references, can we change that? So, for example, that was something we we compromised on. From there, it goes to production. And then the production people also then said, well, we want to put the book together like this. Can we do XXX? And so there again, it's us working together to make sure that it's going to be making sense. It's going to look good. And then it goes to the art department. And so the art department then had to show me the covers and I picked the cover I liked. Then they did. Yes. And then they had to um, show me how they wanted to lay out the book. They wanted my suggestions. Does this look okay? Do you like this? You know, so it's a lot of back and forth. And from there, um, then once we all gave it the high five, oh yeah, wait, there was one more part. Then they sent me the whole book finished in the galley form or so then I had to go through it again and of course I found a few things that I'm like oh my god we got to fix this we got to fix this and oh my god I've got to add this you know so once again it was editing again (laughs) so it's a it's a labor I mean it is an absolute labor anyone who thinks it's easy is nuts there's so much editing that goes forth so once once we were done with that then they did that. They fixed those little things. They showed it to me once more. Now, what do you think? Went through it again with a fine tooth comb, freaking out the entire way. And then I finally said, I think we're good. And so the book got published and it's gorgeous. And hopefully there's no punctuation errors that my daughter will yell at me about, but um, it, it, it's gorgeous. And they just, again, the whole process for someone like me who's a new author, it is scary as hell. But they were great partners. They were handholders. They, you know, and I, I also have my team here, you know, working with my writing mentor, Alexander Franzen, and my daughter, who is just an incredible, meticulous editor uh, with that punctuation and grammar stuff. Having a team helps you too. I, I recommend anyone who writes a book, rather than just writing it, make sure you have other eyes to look on it before you send it out to the publisher because you're going to feel more confident about what you're delivering. 
And that's really what I wanted to do, deliver a confident product. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you had an amazing team and on all fronts. And yeah. how long was this process of all of these rounds of edits? Like, what was this about the amount of time from the starting point to when it was sent off to get printed? The starting point was I delivered the manuscript in November of last year. Mm -hmm. And it was a couple of months of pretty hardcore editing. Wow. So, you know, and again, remember, I had already written the book before right. that, and I had passed it through Alex's eyes, then passed it through Megan's eyes, then passed it through my eyes once again. So, I mean, it had already gone through a round of edits between those guys and then me going back. And I think sometimes I'm my own worst critic. So, of course, I was like nitpicking the hell out of it before, I, uh, even after those guys looked at it, just to make sure that the book was, this, I had a couple of um, things that were really important to me. I wanted the book to be jargon free. Mm. I didn't want it to be something that would be intimidating because that's the problem with a lot of, a lot of tarot stuff. It's intimidating. I wanted it to have a fun spirit. I wanted it to be playful, but still serious. And I wanted it to be written in a lingo that a young tarot reader a modern young tarot reader can get into it. I wanted it to be so that somebody my age or older could also find it enjoyable. So I had to really think a lot about my language, how I wanted to present it. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And again, the main thing is this has to be user-friendly. This has to be like the gateway to get people into tarot. And then they can go get all those really hardcore scholarly things. I didn't want it to be that. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I love about your about your writing style on your blog and in your newsletters and in other places is that it's very approachable and it's very fun. So it seems like that sort of follows with the way that you approach tarot in general. Yeah, absolutely. Because I am a believer that everything can be simplified. And I believe if you can't explain something simply, then either you don't know what you're talking about or you're full of it. I really believe that. You should be able to explain tarot to a nine-year-old. Yeah. Work. Can you explain it? If you're talking over their heads and overcomplicating it, then, you know, there's something else going on here. It's either your ego involved or you want to sound smart. You know, I always laugh because my husband and I have smart wars. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband's very, very smart. And he can talk physics and all this stuff. And, you know, one day... He was uh, trying to prove how smart he was talking physics. And I said, oh, yeah? You want to see how, how dumb I am? I pulled out astrology, and I'm actually well-versed in astrology, and I can talk astrobabble like the best of them. <laughs> I started rattling off equations and quincunxes and all this stuff, and he looked at me, and he goes, okay, well played. Well nice. played. And again, it all comes down to, sure, I can talk that. I can talk that with tarot, too. But does that help people? No, that doesn't help anybody. They need to really feel that you are explaining things to them so that they can get it if they're trying to learn tarot. Or if they're getting a tarot reading, it doesn't help a client if I'm talking all kinds of arcane esoteric stuff. They don't need that. They instead want to hear, how can I get out of the situation? Or am I on the right path? Or is this relationship healthy? If not, what can I do? So you want to be able to always approach this stuff, at least in my opinion, in a way that's actually going to help people and it's going to speak to them in a way where they 
feel they can understand it. But also you want to think about they need to feel heard, heard. They need to feel witnessed. So whether you're reading your cards or teaching, that's always my style. It's very, very down to earth. It's not fancy. Yeah, I think I think that is such a temptation because as a as a nerd, I will come right out and say it. I've said it before. It's it like the the knowledge about it and all that esoteric stuff is so fascinating that I think it's about finding a forum where you can talk about that stuff so that you don't talk about it with people who are just asking questions about tarot maybe. Yeah, and you know that esoteric and stuff is wonderful. I love all that stuff. I love that jam. But if I'm doing a tarot reading and you're in my office, no client cares about any of that. I'm going to be real frank about it. They don't want to hear that. They they're just not interested. Um, they need to know practical stuff, and that's what I'm known for. I'm a practical reader, and when I teach, I'm a practical teacher. I like to sit down with people. I like to really hammer those basics. And I always believe, too, I don't care how long you've been reading tarot, you need to go back to those basics. Same with yoga. When I'm teaching yoga, I don't care if you can do the crow pose. Let's take a look and see how you're doing Tadasana, which is simple standing pose. Mm. Let's take a look at that. There's fine points in Tadasana. And many people don't know how to stand. And it's the same with tarot. Go back to your basics because that's really important. Yeah, it sounds like this book is really going to help people to do that as well, because no matter what level, as you said, I think actually coloring the cards makes you look much closer at what the visuals of each card is. There's many benefits to actually coloring your tarot cards. You know, first of all, you do look a lot closer and all of a sudden you start noticing stuff that you never noticed before. It's like, oh my God, why... Well, why is this snail in this nine of pentacles? What's that all about? And you know what that ends up doing then? You start developing these new interpretations that are in your own voice, not just the tarot lady's voice, but your own voice. And that's super important because you don't want to sound like everybody else, like you're reading out of a book when you do readings. You want to develop your own voice. So when you're coloring, all of a sudden you start seeing things, things that maybe grab your attention, things that maybe help you to really articulate your tarot in your voice. And the other thing that's really great about the coloring process is it's meditative. Now, here's a big secret to being a good tarot reader. You've got to have the right mindset. And if you are doing readings when you are completely bent out of shape, now whether you're doing a reading or doing a reading for yourself, I'm talking either or, when you are completely bent out of shape, when you are freaking out over the last episode of Game of Thrones or whatever, you know what? You're not 100% present. And so learning how to be meditative and grounded and really zen helps you to really tune into that energy and be present with it. So coloring in a way is kind of a it's kind of like a sneaky way of tricking people into being meditative. And that's what I love. <laughs> this is what I love about yoga. Yoga is the same thing. When I started doing yoga years ago, I started because I had breathing issues. And one of my friends said, why don't you try yoga? I said, yoga? I don't know about that. Well, let me try. <laughs> so I went into the yoga class and I walked out breathing well. My body felt great. And I felt so calm. And I went home and I had a bunch of readings stacked up that day and I slid through those readings. I swear to God, I felt like I was channeling it from who knows where. And I, I said to my husband that day, I said, you know, there's something to this yoga stuff. 
it tricks you into meditating. And if you are in a meditative or just calm brain, I'm telling you as a tarot reader, you need to be doing that because a lot of times you've got people coming in with some heavy problems. Now, if I'm all bent out of shape, how am I going to help that person? How am I going to see what's going on in those cards? No, I'm going to be putting my own other crap into it. So coloring tricks you into that. Just like yoga tricks you into meditation. And that's going to allow you to actually be a better reader. Absolutely. I'm curious about what you do because you've talked about this before where people have said to you like, oh, it must be so fun to be a professional tarot reader. And you're like, well, maybe on the one hand, but there's some really heavy stuff that people ask about. So how do you take care of yourself as you're you're doing that? Well, you know, it's, I love my work. I've been doing it a long, long, long time. And I had to learn the hard way how to really get myself um, in the right mindset when I work, but also how to let the stuff go after I'm done working. And that is the key. There is oftentimes I do deal with really heavy things. People who are grieving, they're dealing with, you know, maybe toxic relationships or they've lost their job and they're scared. So I, I do, do deal with some pretty heavy things. And I am very grounded. I'm very rooted because, of course, my meditation and yoga practice. And I've really been good at letting the work go because I have other things outside of my work that I do that occupy me. I cook. I take cooking classes. I read a lot of other stuff that has nothing to do with tarot. Um, I have also a loving, supportive family. I've got a great husband that makes all the difference in the world. And I've got two children that are pretty fabulous. So, you know, I've got all this wonderful support, but it's about that letting go process. And I think I always, I always go back to the one incident in my life that really allowed me to learn how to detach. And that's the key. You have to detach. In yoga, we call it aparigraha, learning how to let go. But I learned how to let go when I was two years old. When I was two years old, I broke my leg. And mm. now this is back in the 60s. So It's a different world back then. And so my parents had to leave me in the hospital for six weeks in traction at years old. And that's just the way things were done then. And they had other mouths to feed. They had, my grandmother was living with us and she was starting to slide into senility. So, you know, it's just the way things were. This isn't a slag on my parents, but at that age, I can remember it still very vividly. You know, my parents would come and visit, and then they'd leave. And so as a child, after a while, I had to learn that, okay, they're gone. i got to let this go. i gotta be, I got to be cool with my little red hen book and some Sesame Street. And so I didn't realize it then that that's what was happening. And then when I came home, my parents, my mother, my poor mother, oh, God bless her, she had another baby while I was in the hospital. Oh, no. So all of a sudden I come home, and it's like, oh, my God, there's this other baby. And, you know everything's different. And I remember that feeling of being like a little alien. But it was at the time puzzling. But as I got older, it actually came in handy. I'm quite good at just detaching from things and putting my emotions in a different place. So when I work, you know, I'm meditative because of my meditation and my yoga. And I'm able to get my own emotions out of the way. So I read the cards and I don't let my own crap filter into those readings because I detach. And at the end of the day, I detach because I know how to do that emotionally, but I also have my energy work. I have, again, yoga. I have my support. I have my other interests. That's how you keep it sane. And other thing for me, 
is boundaries. And that's been the <laughs> hardest lesson in my business. You know, I'm a friendly gal and that gets me into a lot of trouble. So I've had to learn over the years to set strict boundaries with clients. And sometimes that makes people think I'm a, you know, a jerk. They think, oh, wow, she highfalutin. And it's like, no, this is to protect me and to protect you. I need boundaries. And that was the hardest lesson. I still learned this lesson. I'm still to this day having to learn that lesson. Um, that's probably been the one thing that's been the hardest thing about being a full-time reader. I'm getting there, though. Just, every day there's a different lesson. I think most of us, though, who are in any kind of healing work or, you know, intuitive work, we all find that we struggle with the boundaries. I mean, I think that was a big thing when I was working as a, a psychotherapist in training and then ended up switching to coaching was it was just too hard for me to hold boundaries okay. uh, in when I was doing therapy. But coaching feels much clearer. So one thing I'm curious about, because this is something I've been playing with myself, do you use tarot in your writing process at all? Sometimes. Yes. And especially when it comes to business ideas. Mm. And here, here's why. It may sound goofy, but I have a process for business and for coming up with fresh ideas and blog posts and all of that. And it does involve tarot. And so it starts out, and I do this every year, I get my whole business year planned this way. This is where I get a little bit... Uh, a little bit neurotic about it. I'm a, I'm really into planning. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a Virgo, so you're going to get no argument from me on that one. Yes, <laughs> I've got planets in Virgo, so we're going to, we're going to both then groove on this. Yes. So every year in October, I sit down and I plot out my whole year. I've been doing this for years now, and it begins by looking at my astrology chart, and I want to see where the planets are working, or where they're not working, so that I can get really clear on. What are the themes for my business and how can I work with this energy, even difficult energy? And then I also look for my auspicious dates. And those are going to be my dates where I want to launch stuff. I map every one of that out on a calendar. I also map out when there are problem dates like a Mercury retrograde. So it's all in this big wall chart for me. Once I've done that, the next thing that I like to do is I want to come up with ideas for the business, whether that be blog ideas or whatnot. And I do what's called the Yoga Nidra. And Yoga Nidra is a deep tantric yogic meditation. And for me, the first time I did a Yoga Nidra years ago, it was to do some inner transformational stuff. And I teach Yoga Nidra and I teach my students how to do it for transformational stuff. But the weird thing that happened to me when I would do Yoga Nidra, I would find I started coming up with all this creative ideas. I mean, like crazy good creative ideas, blog posts, ideas for products or e-courses. And it would just start spilling out of me. Why? It's because I'm in that meditative state. I'm telling you, meditation nice. is a thing. So what I started doing then is I'd come out of the yoga nidra and I kept a notebook handy and I would just start journaling. And I'd write down every little thing that I could remember that came up. And from there, I would then work with my tarot cards. Like let's say I had an idea about an e-course. I'm going to lay out my tarot cards and then... I will take the tarot cards and use those as prompts and I start writing. It's almost like automatic writing. So I'll start just writing down ideas from those cards. And then I start looking at what is the story these cards are telling me? Where is the idea? How can I flesh this out further? So those cards become like a little storyboard. From there, I look at any words that came up and I like to go and look at like um, a thesaurus and look at different words, different ideas, etymology, all of that. So I will go play around with that. And then after I'm done with that process, 
I will flesh the idea out further. And then I take it to my mastermind people. And I have a mastermind with Joanna Paul Colbert, who designs the Guy and Tarot. And Brianna Saucy, who um, is just fabulously smart. She's my my podcast host. We do a podcast called Talking Shop. And I ask them, what do you guys think about this? And get their feedback. And from there, then I have products or blog posts or ideas. So that's how tarot comes in for me creatively. It's all about using it for my business. That's so cool. And you do those readings for people, correct? You do them like a couple times a year. Oh, yeah. Um, Because the process has worked so well for me, I created something for people called an entrepreneur cast, which is what I started calling it for myself. Um, And I offer it three times a year. And so only 30 people get them because they're a lot of work. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's amazing. I put a ton of work into them because it's looking at their astrology. I only do astrology for business. I never use it for personal things, Um, only for business, because that's where my brain is at with it. For some reason, I have this weird, uncanny knack for business and for timing things out. I mean, I'll give you an example. This last year, I looked at my planets. I said, okay. I see what's going on here. These are some challenging planets going on. It was mainly my house of money got really nailed for the last year. It's going to be nailed for one more year. But I'm a strategic person. So, of course, after doing my own cards and looking at the planets, and because I'm now have been on the planet for a long time, I know how to work with energy, I ended up then clearly setting a budget, organizing my finances down to the teeth, and creating a plan on what I wanted to do with my money. And that plan was, I want to be debt-free and I want to have my house paid off, Mm. which is a pretty big order. But because I knew where the energy was, I knew I had to create a structure. So needless to say, here I am. I've got one more year ahead of that. And my house is being paid off is in my sights. That's amazing. Even though I'm under, quote unquote, negative aspects. And that's the thing with tarot and astrology. You look at the energy and it's not doom and gloom ever. You look at it and say, okay, this is where there might be a problem, or here's where I need to be structured. Here's where I need to set a goal. Here's where I maybe need to rethink something. And that's the magic here. It allows you to see what may be coming so that you can then start to be more conscious of the choices you're making. I really like to say, here's to the magic of choosing your future. Tarot and astrology isn't about things being cut in stone. And whether you're an entrepreneur or a stay-at-home mom or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing in life, if you have an idea of how the energy is operating around you and how your choices have gotten you thus far, you are going to be a lot more awake at the wheel and more likely to be making choices that support your highest good. I think that's the drops the mic moment. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. I can see how all of that makes such a huge difference and being making conscious choices always makes it a big difference. Oh, yes. And so many of us don't. You know, we sleepwalk through life and then we're like, well, how did I get here? Like that talking head song. Right. How did I get here, you know? Yeah, and yeah. if you start looking back, you know, you see that life doesn't just happen to you. It really doesn't. Life is a series of choices. Now, that being said, there are times where there are things that happen to us. There are things we cannot explain and tarot cannot explain everything. It can't. If you're looking for it to sort out every single detail in your life down to the minute, you're not going to find that there. It gives you guidelines. And some things, again, can happen that is outside of our control. But there is a lot that's within our control. How we respond 
uh, how we choose, how we think about a situation, all of that can determine what our outcome is. How did you decide that you wanted to do the spread every year in October? What was special about October for doing your business cast? Well, first of all, I love fall. That's when I really come alive. I like to say that. Oh, me too. Me too, for sure. I mean, right now it's so nice and cool out. It's crisp. I got windows open. I love it. So for me, October is ideal because I like to think way ahead before January even kicks off. I want to have a two good months leading up to it. So October is like the perfect time for me to get all of my business plans for the year ahead uh, planned out and plotted out. And also when I plan out that far and ahead, I can also, I have breathing room in case I change my mind about something because sometimes something comes up and you change your mind. Like when this book deal came together, there were some things that I wanted to do last year that I said, this is going to have to go on hold now because this book is my priority. But because I had my year all plotted out, I was able to take the time that I was going to be devoting to another project and put that off until next year so I can get on this book. That's why I plot that far ahead. No, that makes that makes complete sense. I didn't know because sometimes I feel like in many ways, even though I'm not an academic and I don't work in an academic field at this point, I still feel very aligned to the academic calendar. So I didn't know if there was part of that. To me, it's I think probably because my birthday is in August and it's like September to me is the beginning of the year. And then I figure out what I want to accomplish over the next period. And then, you know, for whatever reason, that has always felt really natural. Right. And also October is really brilliant to, re- to assess where you've been in the previous year. Yeah. What have I been doing in the last 10 months? What's worked? What hasn't worked? What now feels like a bummer? What needs to go? You know, it's a really great time to assess uh, right around the fall equinox. What do I want to clean out? What do I want to clear out? What needs to go so I can prepare for new things? That's a great point. I think that's a really great point. So... We've still got a little bit of time this year to do that and follow your advice. Yes. So you said that you like to read. I'm, I'm both curious. People can see. I'm sure anyone's curious about your, your recommended tarot books, but you do have a great list of those on your site. So I'm going to ask you instead, you said you read stuff that has nothing to do with tarot. I'm curious what you've read recently that you're excited about. God, I love to read. I am like a reading fanatic. And I mean, you could put anything in front of me. I'm going to read it. When I was a kid, I used to read the backs of cereal boxes while I ate breakfast just yeah, because I was, so, yeah, I was so desperate to read. And my parents were um, eighth grade educated. So reading and, and all that stuff wasn't a priority in our household. Uh, but I'm the odd man out. I love to read. And I think being in that hospital, there was nothing else to do. So I had to find something to occupy my time. And I, that might be where my uh, love of reading really began. So recently, what I have read, let's see, what are some of the recent books? Well, I do love, I will admit, I love reading anything about fashion. Ooh. And I just I know it's weird, but I, I, I was reading this book called The Cool Factor, which I really enjoyed by Andrea Lynette. She's a fashion editor. She used to work for uh, Lucky Magazine or Jane Magazine, those things. I love reading junk like that because <laughs> um, I always adore fashion. I adore anything about that, even though technically I live in a uniform. I wear my hair mostly in a ponytail. And I certainly don't do anything glam, but I love reading that stuff. I have also been reading Brene Brown's Rising Strong. Oh, so good. 
ugh, which is all about failure. In fact, I even wrote something recently about, you know, failing. Um, I think that's a really, a really intense, interesting subject. I love Brene Brown's work. I think she's absolutely brilliant. I tend to read a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, whatchamacallit, nonfiction. I'm not a fiction reader. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm a Game of Thrones fanatic, I've never read the books. Uh, I haven't book- read them yet either, but I'm considering, I'm considering diving in. Well, my daughter, who is the literature nerd, is horrified because I never read the classics. She goes, Mom, come on. you got to at least read the class." Uh, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in information that I can use oh and another book that i've really been enjoying it's actually a tarot book but it's a weird tarot book in my opinion it's by jessa crispin it's the creative tarot oh i love that book oh what a great book because it's such a different spin on tarot it's really written for like writers and creatives and i think that book is really smart uh so i've been really loving that book i love that she calls the star the david bowie card Yes, really. I have said that to people when I've been playing with tarot with them and they love it. And I think it's such a great spin on that card. Absolutely. And David Bowie, it's so funny that you mention it. I get these things called musical oracles. And musical oracles are kind of my own weird little thing, although I've met other people who have them, where sometimes I'm doing a reading and a song goes on in my brain. It's strange. Or maybe I'm somewhere out and about and a random song comes on again and again and again. And lately it has been David Bowie nonstop. I was in Portland in August and I was with my girlfriend from high school and we always get together when I go out there because she's been living there for years. And we walked into a store and they were playing David Bowie. I said, oh, great. I love this song. We walked into another store. It's playing again. I'm like, Wow, that's weird. It's well, a different. It was a different song. It was David Bowie. I said, oh, David Bowie again. Cool. Then we went to this restaurant, Castagna, which is my favorite restaurant in the world. We sit down. David Bowie's on. I said, well, this is weird. And then I went to a photo shoot that day. I walk in. They're playing David Bowie. Wow. And I'm telling you, it has been stalking me ever since I've been out there in August. So obviously David Bowie's trying to get a whole bunch of messages through to me somehow. So I do think it's funny that we, here we are, and David Bowie comes back into I the know, conversation. David Bowie again. It's crazy. Yeah. I, when I was studying art therapy, um, getting my MA, I did expressive arts therapy. And one of the techniques they talked about was song recall, which we all loved. And it was like when you get a song stuck in your head yes, to look up the full lyrics, because clearly it's trying to tell you something. Yes, I agree. And I've had songs that have shown up in my life right at the moment something critical is happening. The right song comes on, like on the radio or maybe I'm in a store or something like that, and I'm just floored. So I have been, uh, I have no musical talent, but I have been really tuned into these musical oracles, and they're weird. They work. Definitely. Yeah, people think I'm nuts. Whenever they say, oh, I've got this song stuck in my head, I'm like, what is it? We got to look it up right now. Yeah. got to read the lyrics. No, it means I something. Yep. I do that all the time. I, uh, I just feel like there's something there, you know, that the, the universe speaks to us in symbols and music is a symbol too. Absolutely. Well, it has been such a pleasure. I could talk to you all day, I'm sure. But, yes, um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so great. Um, 
And it's such a treat to have you on and, and to talk more about the tarot. And I hope everybody gets the coloring book. It is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I had it on uh, pre-order for months. So I hope that everyone enjoys and then you can learn something along with your coloring. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. Remember, if you use the code SECRET00 with SECRET all caps, you can get 10% off your subscription at musemonthly.com. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.